You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. We see his word being discarded. We watch as man does what he thinks is right in his own eyes. And we tend to lose sight. We tend to lose sight of the fact that God is complete control and has everything in the palm of his hand. God is not taken by surprise. Everything is happening just the way he wants it to, including our election. Everything is going according to God's plan. The world as you know it grows darker and more evil day by day. But in today's message, Pastor Dave will remind you that Christ will return. We live in a broken and imperfect world, but don't be scared. God has promised to return for his people. He will return and take his people into heaven, where there will be no more suffering. Well, let's join Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1 as he begins his message, God Has a Plan. First Samuel. So if you will find in your Bibles, First Samuel, right after the book of Ruth and right before Second Samuel, you'll find the book of First Samuel. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to that. So I've called this first study, God has a plan. God has a plan. And to begin the book of First Samuel, we need to just take a little bit trip back. The study of the book of Judges can be called the book of no king. If you remember, every time we studied in Judges, we came to the verse that said, in those days there was no king to rule over Israel, but every man did what was right in his own eyes. This one verse describes a nation in anarchy, a nation not united, a nation of divided tribes with God appointing judges to rule over them. At this time there was no army, There were no military leaders, but men and women, when called upon, volunteered to defend the land. It was one of the darkest times in the history of the nation Israel. But, as we studied for a while, during that dark time, love blossomed. And there was a love story that took place during that dark and dangerous time. It's recorded for us in the book of Ruth. Ruth married Boaz. And from their union came Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who became the father of David, the boy who would be king. There was no king in Israel, but God was already preparing the way because God had a plan. And shall I say, God has a plan. Interesting. If you look up and find Ruth 4.22, you'll find that the very last word in the book of Ruth is a name. The name David. Very last word that is written in that book. So if the book of Judges is the book of no king, then the first Samuel book is a book of man's king. 
The nation is going to ask for a king in chapter 8. And God gives them Saul. Saul comes from the tribe of Benjamin. And he turns out to be a tragic failure. But the Lord was preparing David for the throne because God had a plan. 1 Samuel tells this whole story. This is what 1 Samuel is about. About how the people wanted a king. And God gave them a king. His name was Saul. And how he ruled brilliantly at first. But then how he fell from God's favor. And God raised up a young boy. We do not know who the author of the book was. Although Samuel had and was a major contributor. But a lot of the book's take place after Samuel's death in 1 Samuel 25 and then all of 2 Samuel. They're called the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, not because Samuel wrote them, but because they describe Samuel's great ministry in Israel and the legacy he left behind in Israel. I want to read you a quote from the great preacher-teacher F.B. Meyer. Quote, Samuel the prophet thus practically bridges the gulf between Samson the judge and David the king. And there is deep significance in the fact that his name is identified with both books of scripture, which describe this great transitional period, every event of which was affected by his influence. Unquote. Where 1 Samuel is a book about man's king, 2 Samuel is a book about God's king, because it's all about David. The book of Samuel, as I said, takes place in a critical time in the history of the nation of Israel. In fact, Samuel is considered to be the last judge of the nation. Samuel is considered to be the last judge and the first in the line of prophets since Moses. The tribes of Israel desperately needed direction. So not only does Samuel come in as a prophet hearing directly from the Lord, and you'll see that when we get to chapter 2 and 3, he established a school for prophets. Samuel establishes a school for prophets, and he had the honor to anoint two kings. Samuel anoints Saul, and Samuel also anoints David as king over Israel. Another commentator said this, quote, At a time when the ages were colliding and everything seemed to be shaking, Samuel gave spiritual leadership to the nation Israel and helped them to forward towards national unification and spiritual rededication, unquote. As I was preparing for tonight's study and I came across this quote, I think it's very, very poignant that we study 1 Samuel at this time in our own nation's history. I think it's extremely... And as we study this, as we study the book of Samuel, and as we go through this time in our nation's history, we need to keep in the forefront of our minds that God is always in control. Never lose fact and sight of that one simple sentence. God is always and will always be in control. You lose sight of that, you go off the deep end. God has a plan for our lives. When we see the disorder and confusion now happening in our country, 
as we watch the division between the races get bigger and bigger. The division between the social economical structure of our nation gets greater and greater. We see God being pushed out. We see his word being trampled upon. We see his word being discarded. We watch as man does what he thinks is right in his own eyes. And we tend to lose sight. We tend to lose sight of the fact that God is complete control and has everything in the palm of his hand. God is not taken by surprise. Everything is happening just the way he wants it to, including our election. Everything is going according to God's plan. He's not surprised. I was thinking about something as I was looking at this and as I wrote that one sentence. I thought about something. The country will have elected a new president. But can somebody tell me this time next week what will have changed? Nothing. TV commercials will be gone, that's for sure. And Christmas commercials will be banging on the door. But what will change? Nothing. What will change in our government? Nothing. Why? Because the current president is still president for two and a half months He's still there until January 21st when the inauguration takes place. So not much is going to change. God is still in control. Amen. Thank God it's right. Thank you, Lord, for being in control. Thank you that we have that trust that he's in control. And we know that. While God is long-suffering and merciful, he does answer our prayers. But he's also a holy and just God who does punish sin. Our world today is in a period of radical change. And above all else, church leaders like Samuel are needed to help God's children understand where they've been, where they are now, what they are called to do, and where they are going. We need church leaders to stand up and be counted. We need church leaders to stand up and guide God's people through this time according to God's word. It's important. More than ever, we must depend upon the word of God. More than ever in these last days, we must depend upon God's word because it's true. It was true during Samuel's time. It was true during David's time. It was true during Jesus' time and all through the ages. And it is just as true today. We need to trust in God's word. What I like about 1 Samuel is we see success and we see failure. Not only in individuals, but in the nation as well. Because the nation, Israel, failed. Eli, the priest, and his sons were failures. And although King Saul started out a house of fire, he soon became a failure. And then there was David. He was a success in his character, conduct, and service to God. But we know all too well that he had failures as well. But God called him a man after his own heart. A man after his own heart. It's my heartfelt prayer that as we study this book, we will be inspired by the Holy Spirit and glean from the lesson he teaches us through the lives of the individuals we find on these pages. There are many, many lessons that we can learn and take from this book that we can apply to our lives. As we said, the nation of Israel was in complete disorder. The priesthood was defiled. The law of Moses was being ignored throughout the land. 
But as we also said, God was working out his plan. And in order to solve this problem, as he so often does, he begins with a baby. He begins with a baby. He sends a baby. Babies are like God's announcements that he indeed knows the needs of the people and he cares for them. Think about it. Not only does the arrival of a baby usher in new life and new beginning, but babies are the signposts to the future. And their conception and birth indeed is a miracle that only God can do. And to make it even a greater event, God sometimes selects barren women to be mothers. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and in the opening of 1 Samuel, we're going to see that God is going to do exactly that. He's going to choose a barren woman and answer her prayer for a son as he starts to initiate his plan for the nation Israel. Remember, this is all about God's plan. God has a mighty plan, and he begins. Let's look at verses 1 through 7 in 1 Samuel. Now there was a certain man, a Ramathin Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Joram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, and the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also perverted her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it was, year by year, she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. The man in the house, his name is Elkanah, and he has two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. In many ways, Elkanah seems to be a good and godly man, except for the fact that he has two lot wives. It's believed that Hannah was Elkanah's first wife, and the real love of his life. However, she proved to be barren. So later, he married this Peninnah in order to have children, a son to be his heir. Sons were extremely important to this culture to this nation. They were extremely important. And if you didn't have a son, it was like you were out an outcast, and it was horrible to you. Obviously, this was successful because we learned that Peninnah has children, but Hannah does not. While there is no Jewish law at this time preventing multiple wives or divorce, we know from Scripture that this was not how God defined marriage. And you can go through all your Scriptures, Deuteronomy 21, 15 through 17, Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, and read Mark 10, 1 to 9. And it talks about these kind of things that you can look at and study. But with multiple wives come hardships. I can't even imagine. We read the disharmony in the family. In this situation, the wife with children would provoke the other wife, making her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. This should sound very, very familiar to you. It should sound extremely familiar to you because Hagar did the same thing to Sarah when Hagar had a baby from Abraham named Ishmael. Hagar provoked Sarah and they used to make faces back and forth. This was the big problem. 
Peninnah was more likely jealous of Hannah as we find out that the portions of food that were given out to the feast, Hannah got a double portion because Elkanah loved her. That's the wording here is that he loved her more than Peninnah. We read that Elkanah takes the family to Shiloh every year for sacrifice. Remember, this is where the tabernacle now resides in Shiloh. Remember, we read that in the book of Judges. This was in according to God's ordinances and commands. At this time, we're also introduced to the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, priests of the Lord. And I believe that these priests are mentioned by name for two reasons. Number one, because they were two of the most notorious wicked priests in the history of Israel. Secondly, I think their mention shows us how godly a man Elkanah was. Because even though the priests were wicked, he still offered sacrifices to the Lord, knowing that the wickedness of the priest did not make his service to the Lord invalid. He was following the Lord and obeying that which the Lord had commanded. Many, many times were put off by someone else's sin, were put off by someone else's wickedness, especially someone in the church. And we see it all the time. Something happens and we're put off by it and we say, oh, that's it, I'm done. I'm done with it. No, you're serving God. You're listening to God. You're working for God. You're not listening to man. You should be serving God and looking to God for your answers, not man. As a man, I will always fail you. It is not in my heart to fail you. Trust me, I love all of you very much. But unfortunately, as a man, I fail people. And that's what happens in life. Men fail you. We fail. God never fails. God is always true. I will say something that disturbs you. I will do something that you don't think I should have done. Or I won't do something that you think I should have done. And you will get angry at me in some way. I will fail you. If I haven't, hang around. And I'll say, I'm sorry right now. I don't mean to. It's not my want. But because of my frailty, because I'm a sinner just like you, I will fail you. But don't judge the church on our failures. Judge the church on God and Jesus Christ. And that's why we go to church. We don't go to church for men. We go to church for the Lord. And it's important to think that and keep that. And that's what I see Elkanah doing. He knew these priests were wicked. Their reputation preceded them. And though he still went to the thing, he still did his sacrifice. He wasn't sacrificing to Hopney and Phineas. He was sacrificing to the Lord. He knew that no salvation, no forgiveness of sin could come through men. So this was makes him kind of a godly man. And when they went to Shiloh, it was supposed to be a time of celebration, a time of feasting and worshiping the Lord, eating together, a time of remembrance. But every year, Peninnah would irritate her rival. I have kids, you don't. Man, was she E-G-N. She was extra grace needed. However, we read at no time did Hannah bark back. No time did Hannah bark back because actually her name means woman of grace. She never fights back. She never fights against her rival. All she does is persevere. She demonstrates the grace of God. She demonstrates God's grace. So here we see a godly influence in the home, a home that I might say is not perfect. But Hannah did her best to manifest grace in a way when she dealt with her rival. She persevered with her barrenness along with Peninnah's cruel words and attitude. But Hannah was trusting in the Lord. And we see that in the next section that we're going to read that she would present her petitions to the Lord and him alone instead of creating problems within the household. And everything she did, Hannah sought to glorify the Lord. Let's read 9 through or 8 through 18. Then 
Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah rose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the, on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitter, Hannah was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on my affliction, look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke from her heart, only in her lips, but only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered him and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. And Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Remember that. So we see Hannah's prayer. Oh, there's so much we can learn from Hannah's prayer. There's so much we can learn from Hannah's prayer as a way to pray. Look at the emotion she sets out before the Lord. She held nothing back. She didn't hold nothing. Why didn't? Why wouldn't she hold something back? The Lord knows what you're going to pray for before you even say it. He knows what you're going through. He knows your emotions. She's had bitterness of soul and weapon anguish. We see a woman in deep depression. A woman crying out in despair to take away her pain, to ease her affliction. We see a woman who knows where to go to seek help. She didn't go to the priest. She didn't go to the priest. She went to the Lord. It said the Lord alone. She went to the Lord alone. She went straight to the source. She did not go to the priest. She knows where to go to get relief. A woman knows from whence her help comes from. Her helps come from the Lord. Hannah had determined in her heart that the Lord wanted her to be specific in her prayers. To specifically pray for a son that she might in turn give him back to the Lord to serve him. Look at Hannah's words to Eli about our prayer. I poured out my soul before the Lord. I poured out my heart before the Lord. All these pent-up emotions from the tormenting of Peninnah now came forth. And she lays everything at the foot of the cross, at the foot of the Lord. She cast her cares upon him, knowing that he cares for her. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now, she says. Hannah persevered, and now she comes to the Lord and commits everything to him in prayer. Wow. I would like to have heard that prayer. Must have been something special. Remember we studied in Romans how when we groan in the Spirit, the Lord hears our prayers and the Spirit makes known what the prayer is. I wonder if she was groaning as she was crying. I wonder if there were times when it just welled up on her and she just, ah! She just cried out and she's in anguish, it says. Can you imagine she's crying out in anguish? In anguish. You are sure. We're so glad you joined Pastor Dave Shank today for A Sure Hope. This study in 1 Samuel has been taking you further into God's process of fulfilling promises. 
and it may not look like you'd always want it to. God gave a promise to David when he was young and unequipped to handle the magnitude of what was to come. God still gave him a glimpse to the future though, and we walked with David to help him grow and learn. God's plan included trials along with victories, but he was faithful to David throughout. Right now in our country, we are facing a trial never before experienced. Don't fear, God is as faithful to you now as he was to David. He will bring you through, and you can lean on Him for strength and comfort in the waiting. We'd encourage you to read ahead in 1 Samuel and discover for yourself how God works life out, and let Him encourage you through it. How can we be praying for you during this 1 Samuel study and during this unusual time in history? Please give us a call and let us know at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We are pleased to be able to bring you teachings from God's Word on each edition of Assure Hope. If you'd like to hear more from this series in the book of 1 Samuel, visit assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download, and we encourage you to share them with friends and family. That's all we have time for. Thanks for tuning in to Assure Hope.